Welcome to the Living Parables podcast, where we uncover spiritual truth and lessons God has given us through His Word and our own life stories. I am Nate, your host. To all the listeners tuning in the show today, grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I appreciate all of you, and now let us begin. Well, I'd like to welcome you back to a brand new episode. Very excited for this one today. If you recall, last week we talked about what is the heart biblically, and I said last week that that was one of my favorites, and truly that was very, very awesome stuff. We got to dig in, see what the heart truly is, and if you haven't heard that yet, go back and check that out. But without any further ado, we're going to go ahead and get started today. And today we're going to be talking about God's will. Many feel that God's will is hidden and that with special revelation, only certain individuals, special individuals, can uncover it. There are those who think that things in life symbolize his will in that, for example, I saw a postcard the other day on the ground when I got on my car and it was from Colorado. So God is telling me I need to go to Colorado. We've heard stories like that. We've seen him. But God's will is not hidden. It's not a riddle. It's not a puzzle. It is clearly found in Scripture. So before we really dive in deep here, I want us to turn in our Bibles to Psalm 143.10. Psalm 143.10. This is what it says. Teach me to do your will, for you are my God. Let your good spirit lead me on level ground. So what is this scripture telling us? When it says, teach me to do your will. So this means that his will can be understood. It's not given in special revelation. And we can know it, and we can do it. Again, it says, teach me. So it's something that can be taught. And then it says, to do your will. So when we find out what God's will is for us, we're not just supposed to sit back and kick our feet up in our favorite chair and say, all right, I know the will of God. I'm waiting, Lord. Now, we have to be men and women of action. Remember, faith without action is dead. So we must be active in our faith, not stagnant. So we have several points today about God's will, and they're all from Scripture. And I'm really excited to share these with you today. So we have six points. Six points today on the will of God. Number one, it's God's will for us to be saved. Number one, it's God's will for us to be saved. So I would like you to turn with me to 1 Timothy chapter 2, verses 3 through four. This is good and acceptable in the sight of God our Savior, who desires all men to be saved 
and come to the knowledge of the truth. It's God's will for us to come to the knowledge of the truth. And Jesus is the truth. He says that in John 14, 6. He desires all men. That includes women as well in that statement. He desires everybody to come to the knowledge of the truth. But does that actually happen? Unfortunately, no. Please turn with me now to 2 Peter 3.9. The Lord is not slow about his promise, as some count slowness, but is patient toward you, not wishing for anyone to perish, but for all, key word there, to come to repentance. So, he does not want anyone, talking about God here, he doesn't want anyone to perish. But again, he wants us to come to repentance. And remember, godly sorrow, being pierced to the heart, that is true repentance. Sorrow for what we've done. Sorrow that our sin has caused a separation between us and God. That our sin nailed Jesus to the cross. That's real, folks. But again, let's let's recap those two verses real quick. He desires that all men come to the knowledge of the truth and that we come to repentance. So those things go hand in hand. And so I want to look at real quick here, 1 John 2, 17, which says, The world is passing away, and also its lusts. But the one who does the will of God lives forever. And then, wrapping this point up, John 6, 40, it doesn't get any clearer than this. This is the will of my Father. This is Jesus talking. This is the will of my Father. You want to know what the will of the Father is? Here it is. That everyone who beholds the Son and believes in Him will have eternal life. We have to believe in the Son. We have to believe in the Son. We first get the knowledge of Jesus Christ and the truth. The true words that come from this book are all completely true. We come to that knowledge, and then it leads us to repentance. Because we understand that our sin, just like I said before, nailed Jesus to the cross. It causes separation, eternal separation between us and God. It also causes us, in Ephesians chapter 2, we are completely dead in our transgressions. We are spiritually dead. So we come to that knowledge, and then we, we repent. God, I am so sorry for the sins I've committed, the sins that, that break your heart, that grieve you to the core. I am sorry, Lord. I repent of those. I put my trust and faith in Jesus Christ and Him and Him alone. And I believe that Jesus is the Son of God. And I believe that He came and lived a perfect, sinless life. And I believe that He died and rose again. And I believe that 
only through his sacrifice I can be saved. And I'm going to stop there because God willing soon we're going to be doing an episode on baptism. And that's your next step. After all those steps we just talked about right there, baptism is the absolute, without hesitation, next step. That is so critical in the walk of a believer. So we will get to that, God willing, soon. But moving forward here. So point number one is that it's God's will for us to be saved. Point number two, we need to be spirit-filled. I want you to turn with me to Ephesians chapter 5, verses 17 and 18. It says, So then do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. And do not get drunk with wine, for that is dissipation, but be filled with the Spirit. So, verse 17 is very in your face. It says, Do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. So I'm here to tell you, this verse is saying to us very clearly, if you don't know what the will of the Lord is, you're foolish or ignorant. So don't be ignorant. And that's the great part about studying, is that maybe you don't know what the will of the Lord is. Maybe you were never taught that. After today's study, you can't say that. So that's good. But verse 18 is the one I want to focus on. What does being filled with the Holy Spirit mean? Does it mean that we run out of the Spirit and we have to get our fill again? Like a spiritual gas tank? By no means, that's not what it means. What it actually means is that being filled with the Spirit can be thought of as wind filling up a sail on a sailboat. So it can give it direction and move it. We need to be spirit-controlled, spirit-led. So when you read this verse next time, it means spirit-controlled or spirit-led. We need to be dominated by the Spirit. It takes us completely over. And he's comparing this to somebody getting drunk. And think about that. They fill up their bodies with alcohol. And it takes them over. It controls their actions. It controls their thoughts. And it controls their words. So, one thing I want you to know is that every believer has the Holy Spirit as a precious gift from God. You can find that in Acts 2.38. We are not controlled by the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. So what are we controlled by? Yes, we are controlled by the Spirit. We ought to be. But I want us to look at Colossians 3.16, in which, if you've been with me any length of time, this has been one of my favorite verses to use, and rightly so. It says, Let the word of Christ richly dwell within you with all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another with psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with thankfulness in your hearts. I wanted to catch that first part. 
Let the word of Christ richly dwell within you. Why am I using this right now? Is because God's word is inseparable from the Holy Spirit. And some people might get confused on that word dwell within you. Dwell means taking residence in, settling in. So when you buy a, a new house, you move in, at first it's different, but after a while it seems normal, like you've lived there your whole entire life. But again, Colossians 3.16 is so important because God's word is inseparable from the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is the revealer of scripture, the enabler of the Christian life, the illuminator of truth teacher of the things of God, the interpreter of scripture, the applier of the word of God into our lives. We must be therefore dominated by scripture, which is being spirit controlled, which then God will control our mind, emotions, and actions. And I need to ask you this question right now. How has worldly control over those three aspects treated you? I'm going to venture to say not too well. And I can only speak to that because I've been there. When we're controlled by our worldly mind, our worldly emotions, and our worldly actions, sin is not too far away. But once we are spirit-led and word-saturated, any time outside of them feels wrong, like you're missing something. And you also feel spiritually homesick. I can tell you right now that that is so very true. Because I've been so deep in the word lately, and that's been my primary focus, that any time outside of that, it's felt really weird, felt really odd. And that's how it should be. So if you're in the Word and you get outside of it and it feels weird, go back to it. But I will say this, if getting in the Word makes you feel weird and uncomfortable and hesitant, it's self-reflection time but that will be for another time. Let's move on to point number three, our sanctification. Turn with me now to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, 1 through 8. It says, Finally then, brethren, we request and exhort you in the Lord Jesus that as you received from us instruction as to how you ought to walk and please God, just as you actually do walk, that you excel still more. For you know what commandments we gave you by the authority of the Lord Jesus. For this is the will of God, your sanctification. I'm going to stop you right there. Does it get any clearer than that, does it? No. This is the will of God, your sanctification. Let's keep going. That is that you abstain from sexual immorality, 
that each of you know how to possess his own vessel in sanctification and honor, not in lustful passion like the Gentiles who do not know God, and that no man transgress and defraud his brother in the matter because the Lord is the avenger in all these things. Just as we also told you before and solemnly warn you, for God has not called us for the purpose of impurity, but in sanctification. So he who rejects this is not rejecting man, but the God who gives his Holy Spirit to you. Okay, first off, a couple points I want to hit on real quick. Verse 3. For this is the will of God, your sanctification. I want you to recall that we did a three-part series on sanctification. More specifically, I want you to focus on part two. This is the progressive sanctification we talked about. So if you haven't heard that yet, and you want to know a little more about sanctification, go back and listen to that. You will be blessed because of it. Okay. So getting back to it, what is sanctification? Sanctification in the short term means that we are separated from sin and set on a new path of righteousness, which we know in Matthew 7 is the narrow road. So we are called to advance in holiness. And verses 1 through 8 here kind of demonstrate all the things that are a little bit negative. They're warning us that we ought not to do these things or protect us from certain things. For example, let's look at verse three one more time. For this is the will of God, your sanctification. That is that you abstain from sexual immorality. What is sexual immorality? I'm going to clear it up for you right now. Sexual immorality is any sexual sin or any sexual act that occurs outside of the God-ordained marriage between a man and a woman. There's no arguing. There's no complaining. There's no, that's archaic. That is the gospel truth. That is what sex, sexual immorality is. Now let's look at verse 4. That each of you know how to possess his own vessel in sanctification and honor. Well, vessel here means our body. We need to honor God with our bodies. In verse 5, not in lustful passions like the Gentiles who do not know God. People that don't know God, they live by their own instincts, wills, desires, and again... Lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. So those things there are showing us we cannot be dominated by the lust of our flesh. And not only that, but we don't act like godless pagans. We don't compromise in any situations. We can't take a day off. We can't not gather with the saints. We have to constantly be in the word. We have to constantly be in prayer. We have to constantly be working on the fruits of the spirit. 
we constantly daily have to be putting on the full armor of God. And we constantly have to be pursuing and increasing in those qualities found in second Peter, the first chapter. We cannot take a day off because if we do, our heart starts to get a little harder. And then we start thinking that, Hey, maybe I can do this. Maybe I can look at some images that I'm not supposed to. Maybe I can look upon another person in lust. Maybe I can get drunk here just one time. I mean, it's not that big a deal. It is a special occasion. We can't do that. Verse six, though, is also crucial because it calls the Lord the avenger in all things. So people that are like the Gentiles who don't know God and they're full of desires that are contrary to what God requires and commands, there is a price to pay. People will not get away with it. Right now, it seems like evil is being applauded and celebrated and awarded all these things. But brothers and sisters, stay on the narrow path. Keep pursuing Jesus Christ. Be a person after God's own heart. Because in that, we will not be rewarded on this earth, but our great reward will be in heaven. And that's where it truly counts. Let's look at point number four. And that is submissive or humility. And before we get to point number four, let's go ahead and recap the last three points because we're halfway done. Point number one, God's will is for us to be saved. Point number two, God's will for us is to be spirit-filled. And the last point we just made, point number three, God's will is for us to be sanctified. Now, back to point number four, God's will is for us to be submissive. So I'm going to look at four different scriptures to four different subpoints. Subpoint number one, we need to be submissive to God. So turn with me to James, the fourth chapter, verses six and seven. And it says, but he gives a greater grace. Therefore, it says, God is opposed to the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Submit, therefore, to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. So, it really doesn't get any clearer than that. Submit, therefore, to God. Because he opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. And I'm going to share this with you. Humility is patient, and only humble people truly love and love God. Pride is all about instant gratification, and pride will never allow a person it consumes to be humble. I'm going to say that one more time. Pride will never allow a person it consumes to be humble. Remember in Ezekiel 36, when it talks about the heart of stone, pride is it. Pride is it. 
But we submit to God. And that is humility, people. That goes against our natural self to be submissive. The world doesn't applaud submission. Matter of fact, it goes the opposite way. You need to be your own master, your own boss, your own ruler of your own life. Make your own decisions. Do whatever it is you want, as long as you don't break any major laws. And that is dangerous. So, sub point number one, we need to be submissive to God. Point number two, we need to be submissive to one another. Please turn with me back to Ephesians chapter 5, verse 21. It says, and be subject to one another in the fear of Christ. So being subject to somebody means that we are being submissive. So it says, be subject to one another. And the fear of Christ here doesn't mean a terrified fear. It's a reverent fear. Like when your dad used to tell you, don't do, don't do this, don't do that. And you actually listen and don't do that. You're respecting what he says not to do. And here we're talking about being subject to one another. Wouldn't it be an amazing, great world if we were subject to one another? That we cast off our own pride and our own wills and our own desires for the desires of others and to their benefit and to their own interests. Wouldn't that be great? So, sub point number two, we need to be submissive to one another. Sub point number three, we need to be submissive to those over us in the Lord. I want you to turn with me to Hebrews, the 13th chapter, verse 7. It says, Remember those who led you, who spoke the word of God to you, and considering the result of their conduct, imitate their faith. So we need to be submissive to the people that are over us. That does not mean that we let them demean us, that we let them do things that are outside of Scripture in the church. And that also doesn't mean that we devalue our relationship with God and our knowledge of Scripture, because I've seen it too many times where people in churches get a little power hungry and they start deviating from the word of God. And, and before you know it, there is a big major problem at church. So don't let your position in church, maybe just a member of the church, maybe you're not a leader, maybe you're not doing anything right now. Don't let that diminish your importance in the body of Christ. Remember, through the blood of Christ, we were bought and paid for. That was the price of redemption. We are all important. We are all co-heirs with Christ. But that, again, that goes back to humility. Humility will not allow yourself to be exalted over Christ. Humility will not let you do that. And we have to constantly remind ourselves. That's why we need to die daily. That's so important. Because we are not 
anywhere near as holy or righteous as Jesus Christ. There's no way. It's laughable. He's the one that grants us righteousness. Remember, 2 Corinthians 5.21. But I got a little fired up there because I've seen that too many times. And it's very important to understand that just because you're young in the faith doesn't mean that you're not important, that your voice is not important either. So that was sub point number three. Sub point number four is we need to be submissive to human institutions. So turn with me to 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 13 through 15. It says, Submit yourselves for the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether to a king as the one in authority, or to governors as sent by him for the punishment of evildoers and the praise of those who do right. For such is the will of God, that by doing right, you may silence the ignorance of foolish men. So, we need to be submissive to human institutions, the government. Now, there is a point where we get to where we obey God rather than men. I don't think we're there yet in this country, but I do have a fear that we are rapidly approaching that, where we're going to have to draw a line in the sand. That's for another lesson. But verse 15, it's very clear. For such is the will of God that by doing right, you may silence the ignorance of foolish men. It's God's will for us to be submissive to human institutions. Why? Because whether people are good or bad, and remember, we're never good. God is good alone. But what we're talking about here is that God placed those people in those specific places whether it's a president, senators, governors, you name it. He placed them all there for a reason and for his glory to accomplish his will. So while we might want to protest and kick the doors down and start up groups that are anti-government, we're not called to do that. We're called to live peaceable lives, to be as Christ-like as possible. And if there are times where they're crossing lines or they're telling us to do things that are contrary to what God says, then we start with the process of should be praying for them first. But not only that, then we take that stance and we obey God rather than men. So wrapping this whole point up, number four, is we need to be submissive to God, to one another, to those over us in the Lord, and to human institutions. So let's move on to point number five, and that is to suffer. Wait, what? To suffer? Are you serious, Nate? 
Yes, I am. But maybe not what you're thinking. He wills us to suffer because he knows what it does for us. I'd like you to turn with me to 2 Timothy, starting in the third chapter. And we're going to begin in the 12th verse. So 2 Timothy 3.12. This is what it says. Indeed, all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. So, are we talking about suffering because of our sins that we commit? No, that's not the suffering we're talking about. We're not talking about the consequences of sin, although... There are consequences for sin, but we're not talking about that. We're talking about living godly lives and suffering here on earth because of that. Remember, Jesus said, in this life you will have trouble, but take heart for I have overcome the world. John 16, 33. Here it's clearing us, or it's telling us very clearly that if you desire to live a godly life, you will be persecuted. I want you now to turn with me to 1 Peter 2.20. And I know that started off with a little bit of a bang here, and it's maybe a little bit of a gut punch, but I ask you to bear with me here because you're going to see the goodness that's going to come out of it. 1 Peter 2.20 says, for what credit is there if, when you sin and are harshly treated, you endure it with patience? But if, when you do what is right and suffer for it, you patiently endure it, this finds favor with God. Okay, that makes me feel a little better. So if we suffer in doing what is right, and we patiently endure it. That's the key. This finds favor with God. So we're not talking about sin here. We're talking about living a godly life and suffering for it. And we patiently endure that. We don't fire back. We don't throw profanity. We don't throw punches. We patiently endure it. So our suffering finds favor with God. That's amazing. I want us now to turn to 1 Peter 4.19. So just a few chapters over. It says, Therefore those also who suffer according to the will of God shall entrust their souls to a faithful creator in doing what is right. If we suffer according to the will of God, we are entrusting our souls to a wonderful, faithful creator who will uphold us, strengthen us, and give us the peace that goes beyond all understanding. So understand that you are not alone when you're suffering. 
Jesus knows all about suffering. He is our faithful high priest. He went before us. He took the punishment that we deserve. He knows all about suffering. Remember in the Garden of Eden? When they were kicked out of paradise? That was paradise. And sin entered the world through disobedience. And to bring us back, Jesus came to live a perfect, sinless life. To die on the cross. But do you remember what happened before the cross? Do you remember what happened that night before? When he was in the Garden of Gethsemane? He was suffering. Talk about anxiety. He was so anxious and so worried and so stressed out. Maybe not so much worried, but very stressed out. Literally, the weight of the world was on his shoulders and he was sweating blood. He knows what it means to suffer. But we have a faithful creator that will strengthen us. I want you to turn back to one chapter back. So 1 Peter 3.14, listen to this. But even if you should suffer for the sake of righteousness, you are blessed. And do not fear their intimidation and do not be troubled. So, if we are suffering for living a righteous, holy life through the power of the Holy Spirit, through Christ Jesus, we find favor with God when we suffer. And not only that, we are blessed. Because it says, again in verse 14, even if you should suffer for the sake of righteousness, you are blessed. So we find favor with God and we're blessed. I want to say, <laughs> bring on the suffering. Bring it on. Because I want to find favor with God and I want to be blessed. Suffering leads to maturation. And it is utilized to perfect us. 1 Peter 5.10. Listen to this. This is going to give you goosebumps. After you have suffered for a little while, my brothers and sisters, just a little while, the God of all grace, who called you to his eternal glory in Christ, will himself perfect, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. I mean, wow. My brothers and sisters, we're going to suffer in this life. Anybody who's been a Christian for any length of time has suffered. Maybe you've suffered in the church. Maybe you've suffered at your job for being a Christ follower. Maybe you suffered with your friends. Maybe you lost many friends. Maybe you lost family members who, upon hearing your faith in Christ, have turned their backs on you. 
Suffering is a part of this life. But suffering that occurs through living out the gospel, through trying to live a righteous, holy life in Christ through the power of the Holy Spirit, gives us so much more. And it gives us this blessed hope that we find favor with God, that we're blessed. And not only that, God is going to perfect you. He is going to confirm you. He is going to strengthen you and establish you. Amen. Now I want you to turn with me to James chapter 1, verses 2 through 4. Because we're talking about trials and tribulations, and we're talking about suffering. Listen to this. Consider it all joy, my brethren, when you encounter various trials. Wait a minute. You're telling me, Nate, that we need to consider it joy when we suffer and we go through various trials and difficulties? Yes, I am. Verse 3 gives us the answer. Knowing that the testing of your faith produces endurance. Let's keep going to verse 4. And let endurance have its perfect result so that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. Trials will test our faith. But God has given us a faith because he is a faithful creator that we can withstand that. And then we, in turn, produce endurance. And not only that, and let endurance have its perfect result so that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing, verse 4. So we go through these things and we count it joy because we're going to be producing endurance. Hey, I can withstand that. God got me through this. This was one of the most challenging times in my life and God got me through this. I can take on the world. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. And I want us to really take a hold of that. Because I know some of us are going through trials and tribulations right now that are so painful, that are going through relationship issues because of the sake of Christ. And just remember, my brothers and sisters, that whatever we go through while pursuing a godly life in Christ Jesus, we will be blessed. We will find favor with God. He will confirm us, strengthen us, and establish us. Because He is faithful and good. So, God is so wonderful. He is so wonderful. Let us now move on to the sixth and final point of discovering what the will of God is. God's will is for us to be thankful. 
I want you to turn with me to 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verses 16 through 18. This is what it says. Rejoice always. Pray without ceasing. In everything give thanks, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Whoa. That wasn't too long. But man, there's so much spiritual truth in there. It says in verse 18, in everything give thanks. In everything give thanks. Verse 16 says, rejoice always. Doesn't that seem like it matches with what James just said about counting it joy, considering it joy when you go through various trials? So we need to rejoice in those? Absolutely. In everything, give thanks. In everything? Yes, in everything, give thanks. So we need to be followers of Christ who are constantly rejoicing, constantly in prayer, constantly giving thanks. Is that you? Is that what your life is like? Are you just pouring out joy and praise and thanks? Because this is his will for you. So we have taken a look at a lot of different points today. And this one is a point where you need to do some self-examination. Remember, I've told you a lot that when I open the Bible, two things happen every time. I am convicted, number one, and two, I am amazed. Now, I've already written up this study, and I've went over it, and I am just as convicted as I was when I first wrote it, and I am just as amazed as when I wrote it, because God's Word is alive and active. But it says that we need to be rejoicing always and praying without ceasing. We never stop. And everything give thanks for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. And you know, speaking of all the points we made today about being saved, spirit-filled, sanctified, submissive, suffering, and now thankful, every piece of scripture we have used has clearly said, this is God's will for you. God's will is not a mystery. It's not a puzzle. It's not a Rubik's Cube. It's not any of those things. God's will is revealed to us in Scripture by the work of the Holy Spirit because we have the mind of Christ. We search the deep things. We want to seek out what His will is because you know what the wonderful thing is? Is the deeper we go in Christ the more our will fades away and we hunger and thirst for what God's will is for us, his will becomes 
our will. His desires become our desires. His commands become our joy. So some of you are probably wondering and asking, well, when is Nate going to get to the stuff that I at first thought I was going to ask about, well, what about the questions I have about what job am I supposed to have? What's God's will for my life in that aspect? What is God's will for me for dating this person or marrying this person? Or where should I go to school at? How can I know God's will for those things? Well, if you are saved, spirit-filled, sanctified, submissive, suffering, and thankful, the short answer and the clearest answer is then do what you want. Wait, what? Do what you want. You've said in previous episodes that that's the broad road. Not if you are those things. Because if you are saved, if you are spirit-controlled, you are sanctified, you are submissive, and you're suffering, and you're thankful to God, your desires will be God's desires. So when you choose a path to go on, I would also just say be in constant prayer, but when you choose a direction to go, it will be Bible-based. It'll be spirit-led and controlled. So yes, if you are those things, then do what you want. Because it'll be in accordance to the will of God. However, if you've noticed, people who are controlled by lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, and the pride of life, they make choices and things don't go that well. And I see this mostly in relationships. And they say, well, uh, Nate, this is, this is God's will for my life. Really? So you're you're deep in sin in this relationship and you're saying this is the will of God? Well, Nate, I got this new job and it's so awesome and it's it's it pays so much money. Yeah, but you're forsaking assembling with the saints on Sundays because of this job. Yeah, but it's going to pay for all these things and get me out of debt. Well, what amount of money, what amount of material things are equivalent to your relationship with God. And I can answer that for you. That's absolutely nothing. Nothing comes before your relationship with God, because if, if it does, you know what that's called? Idolatry. And if you look all through the old Testament, you can see how far idolatry gets the Israelites. It, it, it's sad. But you know what? Nothing's changed. There's nothing new under the sun. So, wrapping this all up. And I cannot tell you how blessed I am to be sitting here, reading scripture, speaking to you all. Because that is my greatest desire. That is my greatest joy, being able to teach, preach, whatever it is, God's name, his will, his word, 
his promises, his truth. I'm just so blessed to be part of that. So I pray that God would cause you to go through things that bring you closer to him. Although at times they may not seem pleasant, but we're not focused. We're not fixed on the things on this earth. Our eyes are set above. Our mind is set on Jesus Christ and our hearts are completely his. I love God so much. Don't you? Isn't it amazing what God's done for us? It, it just blows me away. So we're reaching the end of the show where, as you know, we have started praying at the end of our episodes. And I would encourage you, if you have any prayer requests, to email us at livingparablestruth at gmail.com. Or if you have any questions about the studies, or you maybe you even have your own stories to share. I would love to share them or read them for that matter. So I would encourage you to do that. But at this time, we're going to go ahead and pray. And before we get started, I want to just let you know that be in prayer for this world because there's a lot of disasters, especially floods over in China and Germany was just hit with massive floods. And the United States is the Western half of the United States is on fire and Canada is even on fire and Siberia is even on fire. I mean, there is a lot of things going on and we might have to do an episode about what's going on in this world right now. But until that time, be in prayer because there are people that are suffering and these are the times where we need to keep our eyes completely fixed on Christ. Don't look left. Don't look right. Keep looking up to the sun. Let's go ahead and pray. Father, we are grateful for another day. It is a beautiful day because, Lord, you have been so gracious to us by giving us another day, another breath, another second. And we are grateful. Thank you for your blessings. I thank you, God, for the study about your will. I pray that it would richly bless those who listen to it, not for my glory, but for yours and yours alone. I pray for the listeners on the show that they would be blessed, that they would seek you in all that they say and do. And I pray, God, that as we leave this session now and we leave this study that we would go out and we'd be bold for your name that we would desire to live a godly life that we would open up the scriptures and let the word of christ richly dwell within us help us to be spirit controlled lord in all that we say and do and i ask these things in jesus name amen well, I pray that the Lord blesses and keeps you and gives you peace. And until next time, brothers and sisters, God bless you all.